Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Problematic Opinions. Oh, that's right. But guess what? They're not mine this time. Or mine. Yay. (laughs) We have got another great episode for you uh, in our series on the Hare Krishnas. This is... um... This is one of my favorite ones, if I'm being honest. Oh, we haven't even gotten to next week, bro. We haven't even, we barely talked about New Vrindaban. Barely. Uh, and that's like where most of the stuff happens. Gosh. I just said gosh for the first time in my life. Uh, I am super excited for that, but this episode is so much fun and I can't wait for you to listen to it. Uh, a couple of things beforehand. If you want to help support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash podcast. Also, uh, if you want to listen to a new show with me on it that's got a lot of bits, a lot of fun, you can listen to the Rooster Teeth podcast. That's right. Cockadoodle doo, baby. Yeah. Bring it back. Yeah. Remember when we were just the little outlaws making those stupid bird noises? They gave me the whole fucking podcast now, baby. And I am ruining it day by day. Um, no, I'm not. I'm trying very hard to make it a good show. <laughs> uh, and I think you should listen to it. I think you would like it, especially if you like cult podcasts. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, without any further ado, let's hop into this little show. Hello. 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 All right. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always... These are our opinions. Thank you for tuning in to Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have the Dancing Outlaw. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, So this is a reference to a thing that you you sent me at, I believe, two in the morning Mm -hmm. and said, you have to watch this before we record tomorrow. Yes. I'll explain it later. (laughs) I will. I will indeed. Um, I will explain it when I get into sources because it is Mm -hmm. key to a source rabbit hole, which is like one of the first times I've ever had that happen where I had to rabbit hole on a source Mm-hmm. And then it just turned out to be an even crazier rabbit hole. Um, but you'll see momentarily. And I'm glad everyone else listening will see. And some of those listening already know who the Dancing Outlaw is. And they'll be like, what? Why are we talking about this? And I'm excited to reveal it to you. It's going to be a wild week. Remember last week when I was like, yeah, there's no racism or bad shit that week. Well, this week... uh, yeah. Oops, all racism and bad <laughs> shit. <laughs> Oops, a lot of bad shit. You know, uh, I don't know why you're surprised she bring it to you every ball. Uh, it's, it's here. <laughs> I, uh, you know what? I'm just going to say this here because I don't, if you listen to the Rooster Teeth podcast, you might be getting uh, a bit of a, a an early notice, I guess, but I'm just so proud of this. Uh, we wrote a sketch that's going to start out the show, uh, and this is our third episode, so we're filming this this coming week, um, and then it won't come out for like another week. <laughs> anyway, it's a press conference held by the company that is explaining the horrific and deadly accident that caused Oops All Berries. Uh, because they always say that it was like some terrible accident now they have factory yeah now they have oops all berries so this is the press (laughs) conference following the the awful accident that took the lives of five people (laughs) to make oops all berries berries. 
Zero days without accident. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite sketch premises we've ever come up with. It's incredibly stupid, and I cannot wait. <laughs> I do love that. I also, I love crunch berries, uh, mm. particularly the Christmas ones. I've been getting into cereal again lately. I know that sounds dumb as hell, but it was just like cereal was a, 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 a thing that I was into when I was like a kid and then in my early adulthood. And then I got really into just like depression and drugs. Uh -huh, and now uh -huh. I'm getting on the other end of it where it's like, fuck yeah, give me some Reese's peanut butter yeah, crunch. Dude. Come on. Cereal, dude. Hey, you know what I'm into is making cereal treats with non-Rice Krispie cereal. Like some Captain Crunch treats, uh, some uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch treats. Amazing. Uh, Lucky Charms. Mm. Fab. Lucky Charms are a good choice. I would say that um, the one that I've always used as my replacement is Fruity Pebbles. But it I works put great. In I put in half Fruity Pebbles, half Rice Krispies so that it's not overly yeah. sweet. No, that's, yes, that's the business. My my favorite is Captain Crunch, but particularly a mix of Crunch regular and mm. Crunch Berries because the little bits of the Crunch Berries just give you a little extra pop of flavor, but it's not too, it's not oops, all berries. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just, just a little bit of berries, a little bit yeah. of what you need. See where I'm from, we call that the cut your mouth up special. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's the mouth shield uh like it's bad. You can only eat one or two at a time, but those one or two are amazing. But at Christmas <laughs> they have Christmas crunch berries that are like shaped like trees and stockings. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. I know they're just crunch berries. Like I know. But something about Christmas and the magic of the wonder of a child makes them taste different. And mm. so I'll, I made, I must have made like four pans of that shit this Christmas that we just rapidly ate through to the point where we were like, we got to find more of the Christmas Crunch Berries to make more Crunch Berry treats. Look, I understand you completely. I can't, um, I can't explain it, but I know that the, uh, the Reese's peanut butter eggs that they come out with around Christmas uh, or, or uh, Easter rather are better than the regular peanut butter cups that they have yeah, all the time. Yeah, why? Why is that? That's absolutely true. You're 100% right, and I don't know why. I, think, I, I don't know. I think the closer a food can come to praising our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Correct. the better they taste. It's something about... Uh, uh, flavorness is next to godliness, and I think yeah. that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in each egg, they have a drop of Christ's blood, and that's what you're tasting. Ooh, that's how they uh -huh. get the that's how they get the chocolate so soft. All right, Paige, let's hop into this episode. <laughs> let's let's do it. Let's do it now. We started our series on uh, the International Society for the Krishna Consciousness, aka ISKCON, aka the Hari Krishnas, uh, and we are continuing this week. Uh, let's go through sources. I'm going to rapid fire through the bulk of them because it is a full page, uh, and then. We're going to fall down a source rabbit hole, and then we're going to start the episode. Bear with me. I promise it's worth it. Okay. So uh, we start out with Grunge Magazine, The Untold Truth of Hare Krishna. That's kind of a compiled article with a lot of different articles linked in it, uh, including the New York Times, the Hare Krishna movement, details past abuse at its boarding schools, the Washington Post, Can Hare Krishna's at Palace of Gold in West Virginia rebuild its tarnished community. Uh, we have The Independent in their obituary section, Hare Krishna leader deposed after racketeering conviction, which we won't even get to today. I'm so sorry. That's next week. But this might be five weeks. It's so interesting. <laughs> I promise. We have the Oakland Press. Hare Krishna is no longer berobed hippies who proselytize in airports. We have Middle Tennessee University's free speech departments, Lee versus the International Society for the Krishna Consciousness uh, from their First Amendment Encyclopedia. We do still have the Britannica com article on Hare Krishna. We have iscon.org, uh, which is their website. We have a YouTube video from ABC Australia. It's a mini documentary called What Happened to the Hare Krishnas. Uh, we have another article by the Washington Post, Hare Krishna leader tied to murder plot, which again, we won't get to till next week. And finally, the source that we will get to rabbit hole down a documentary from 1996 called Holy Cow Swami. Now, we got to talk about this for a second. Mm -hmm. 
as I was looking up things for this week's episode, because as we kind of teased last week, this week is primarily going to be about Keith Ham, who is one of the early converts and takes over uh, ISKCON at one point, or at least one portion of ISKCON. We'll go over how that happens. Um, as I was looking for information about him, I found a number of, let's say, incendiary facts <laughs> where people are like, yeah, it turns out it was this. And I was like, whoa, I'm not finding this a ton of other places, right? So you have to kind of dig and figure out, like, where is this coming from? And what I found was that a lot of these more, let's call them salacious pieces of information, uh, came from a documentary that came out in 1996 called Holy Cow Swami, which is primarily about Keith Ham. Now, this documentary is almost impossible to find. In fact, I could not find and watch it, unfortunately. Um, however, a lot of people have done detailed write-ups of what is in it. That's how I was able to gather some of this information. But let me tell you a little bit about this documentary. It is three hours long. Oh, my God. It is three hours long. It's mostly available on VHS, although sometimes people find DVDs, which also, if you have a copy... Or if you found a copy, holy shit, please send it to me. <laughs> I need to see it. Like, I have never been more, like, blue-balled by a documentary in my <laughs> life. I want to see this so bad. Um, yeah, we'll rent it from you like a library. Yeah, where... whatever we need. I just want to watch it. Like, please let me watch It's nowhere on the internet. I tried, like, four <laughs> or five illegal ways to try to watch it. It was not happening. Um, now, it is usually for purchase from the director, a man named Jacob Young. Remember that name. It's going to be important in about 30 seconds. There are a lot of descriptions about it online, uh, but there is one very specific piece of information, and I will cover it when we cover it in the story, that comes from this documentary. And it's the documentary is like the only one that talks about it. That does mean, because they're the only ones that talk about it, that we kind of have to take that with a grain of salt. And people either love or hate this documentary uh, because they're either like, finally, the truth is out, or they're like, this guy's got an axe to grind. But that led me down a bit of a rabbit hole because I was like, who the hell is this dude that made this documentary that people are so riled up about? And at first... In reading all of this, the fact that the documentary wasn't easily available, that I couldn't find it, that people had, like, purchased it directly from the director and had talked to the director. I read, like, interviews with the director. I found out that Jacob Young, the director, is not just some dude with a random homemade documentary. He is a noted and awarded documentary filmmaker with accolades. So I started going through the documentaries he made, specifically... Before he made Holy Cow Swami, he made us a whole series of documentaries that aired on PBS, specifically one that I sent you a clip from called The Dancing Outlaw. That was part of a PBS series uh, called Different Drummers, and his episode that he created profiled a man named Jesco White, uh, a West Virginia man trying to live up to his father's legacy as the best dancer in the Appalachians. Now... <laughs> that's the piece i sent you right mm -hmm. did you recognize that man at all you might not that's okay but i know Did i recognize jesco jesco yeah uh i've seen a clip of him before i think in something else like a tiktok okay. or something okay okay so th this is the best part all right jesco white uh and some of our listeners listening to this maybe like screaming <laughs> as they're listening like oh my god what i'll feed you baby birds okay so uh jessica white is actually most famous to most people because he himself is in a multi-hour documentary about his family made by johnny knoxville and jeff tremaine of jackass fame yes that documentary, which I had seen and had seen before falling down this rabbit hole last night, is the Wild and Wonderful West Whites of West Virginia. And it is like multi-episodes long. It details Jesco's entire family and their battles with addiction, 
possible inbreeding, uh, oh. a whole bunch of stuff. It is, and and by inbreeding, I mean like cousin level, not sibling level. But it's not great. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a lot of um, uh, substance abuse, both prescription drugs and illicit drugs, um, and Jesco battling with like local fame but he doesn't handle it well. So, but the reason that documentary gets made is because Jacob Jacob Young's documentary got made first, 10 years before. So like, he got there first, he got the story. That's the clip I sent to you, is not from the Wild Wonderful Wise of West Virginia. I sent you Jacob's clip, which to me, at the end of this rabbit hole, because like, now this isn't just a homemade video. This is a dude who for PBS made the documentary that spawned an incredibly famous documentary, but he got there first and accurately. All I'm saying is this is not a disgruntled former member just taking a camera. This is a real documentary filmmaker. And so for as much doubt as you will see on the internet about this documentary, Holy Cow Swami, and whether or not it is an accurate depiction of what was happening at the time, I would argue that Jacob Young has a track record of very good documentary work. And it's probably true. Um, again, I still have to slap some allegedlies on this stuff because I have not been able to see it. And a lot of people argue that it's not true. But I will tell you that there's a whole IMDb page of stuff that would suggest that Jacob Young would not make just a random untrue movie. So <laughs> that's our rabbit hole. Okay. I'm, sorry. I just, I was like, oh my God, it's the guy that did Wonderful Whites, or at least the precursor to Wonderful Whites. Uh, <laughs> so I would recommend uh, if you don't have much to do or if you want something to second screen uh, The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia, it's a, uh, it's an experience. It is an yeah, experience. And this, this is a movie that is, uh, you said, just like about all of the crazy people in West Virginia. It's one family. It's one oh. family. So it's Jesco. So Jesco's father. And again, this is a tangent. I know, but like it is worth talking about. Jesco's father was a like a clogging dancer, kind of like tap dancing adjacent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and did get some fame and notoriety from doing so was on TV a couple times a few times he is notable now granted this is in the 50s and 60s and it is famous only regionally for the most part like not a lot of people outside of West Virginia and the surrounding states really know about his dad but enough people do that he gets like gigs to dance and everything and that's why he's dancing on that bridge or whatever he is a famous dancer at the time he does try to get into music and a number of other things now yeah i we should explain that uh page yeah why don't you me, describe the video i sent you page sent me a video at two in the morning that mm-hmm. i looked at and i went and it was just like outlaw the outlaw dancer or the something outlaw was the title. dancer yeah and i was like yeah the that's dancing not outlaw a, that's not a two in the morning video Ooh. this is a this is a fucking 11 in the morning video <laughs> so i'm gonna let this sit and wait i tuned it in this is the first thing that i have actually that's not true the first thing that i took in was that uh there's a coup happening in russia right and the world might be coming to an end or be coming to a better place and no one is really sure right now and so i went well that fucking blows and then i opened up a video where it's just (laughs) it's just a guy going yeah, my father was the best dancer in West Virginia, and it has been very hard to live up to his legacy. And then it cuts to an old man in a doorway doing a, a dance that looks like there's a bug on the ground that he can't quite <laughs> squish. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just over and over, just doing this little fucking dance. It's what's what's funny to me is the more I watched it, the more it looked like hillbilly crip walking. <laughs> yes. Yes. Basically. That's basically what it is. And and it, like it, oh, 
in in the wild, wonderful whites of West Virginia, there's a lot of the dancing in it. And every time someone's like, he was the famous dancer we ever saw. I was just like, why? Why was this that famous? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Um, I want to see the fucking Jabberwockies go to West Virginia right. and just <laughs> just wipe the fucking floor with these idiots. And it's, and it's a very specific type of dancing, but it seems to have no real rhyme or reason to it. It's just kind of like as it takes you. It's, but, it's freeform tap dancing yes, is what it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Jesco's father had a ton of kids, like so many children. And then those children also all have a ton of kids. So the White family composes a huge portion of like one part of this town in West Virginia or this area, I should say. And a lot of them have had run-ins with the law. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have had uh, issues with drugs or other substances. Uh, and everyone in town just kind of knows them. And they're just like, oh, God, it's the fucking whites. Like, shit. Like, why do we live next to these people? And it's crazy. Like, and each one of them will be like, well, I was the pretty one. That's why I was the stripper. And you're just like, what? Oh, like, hell yeah. That rocks. But but you'll watch, like, you'll see some of their kids try to break the cycle and fail. You'll see uh, you'll see people try to drunkenly order from Taco Bell. You will see people just, they're just trying to get by, but you'll see them like, okay, we're all on welfare and we're all going to get a bunch of prescription drugs and sell them. Like, it's crazy and you will spend a lot of time with jesco and he is a confusing and and weird man (laughs) so like yeah yeah and and just to be clear by the way the video that that page sent is very short and it basically explains the premise of jesco's story which is his father was the best dancer in the appalachians and uh for doing this like weird freeform tap dance and they'll play like some song where it's like or should he do we're a white family in West Virginia? And then yeah. he's like doing his little fucking tip, his tip dad. To be tippy tippy tap, to be tip 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 tap tap tap. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yep. His dad who looks like every man who's ever talked down to a female employee at a Home Depot is Absolutely. doing Absolutely. He's doing his little fucking <laughs> white trash hillbilly crip walking. And then uh, you hear Jesco go like, it's hard to live up to the, you know, the legacy of your father, but knowing that you're the best dancer in the Appalachians. And then it cuts to uh, weird B-roll footage of somebody throwing beer bottles at a fucking road sign. And it starts playing If You Want to Get to Heaven by the Ozark Mountain uh daredevils which is a song that i mostly recognize from grand theft auto 5 if yeah I'm being yeah, real yeah. With you. honestly and it's uh i think what's supposed to be a very emotional scene maybe where it's jesco standing on a bridge listening to this song from a fucking boom box that yeah, he's, he's holding hol- right next he's to holding his ear it like a ghetto blaster it's yeah. the best thing i've ever seen <laughs> And he's just doing the same exact tap dance, but to this song, like, if you want to get to heaven, you yeah. got to raise a little hell. It's fucking awesome. It's it's uh, it's not even good dancing, I would say. it was, It's not even okay dancing, I would say. And I think it's my favorite thing that, uh, that, it, that those are some of the best dancers in the Appalachians. Yes, he and he's dancing across that bridge, and then that's also cut in with more B-roll footage of him and his neighbor, who have a, a trailer that shares walls, having a heated domestic dispute. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's it's. Look, man, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great clip that makes me want to watch the whole movie. You honestly should. Uh, it's it's one of those things where a friend recommended it to me, and then I ended up live texting it while I was watching it to that friend. Where when they get to the Taco Bell and they're trying to order from Taco Bell, which to set the scene, uh, they are under the influence of a handful of substances. Uh, they unfortunately have just temporarily, at least, lost custody of one of the grandchildren. And to cheer themselves up after court, they're going to Taco Bell. Uh, and they get to the Taco Bell window, and one of them is just like, can we get fajitas? And they're like, we don't 
have that. It's it's like just what you have on the menu. What y'all got? What it's the the menu. You're looking at the menu like just just to hear a Taco Bell worker try to reason with someone who is outside the realm of reason. <laughs> Two things. One, that is the typical Taco Bell customer, is somebody who is high <laughs> on a handful of substances and just lost custody of their grandchild That's slash correct. second cousin. Yep. Uh, and secondly, how fucking wild is it that you are somehow pitching weirder items to a restaurant who's like, what if we took a burrito and wrapped it in a quesadilla and deep fried it and put it in a pizza? Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah, Taco Bell turned a fucking fried chicken into a taco shell, and you're like, hey, do you have fajitas? No, man. <laughs> Y'all got fajitas? No, um, here's what they have. Sour cream and diarrhea. That's what they have, and you'll fucking like it like the rest of us. My favorite is after after asking for fajitas, and they're like, we don't have fajitas. She's like, fiestas? Y'all got fiestas, and I'm like, that's not even a food. That's, that's a, not even a food. It's a party. <laughs> it's wild. Um, <laughs> oh. and, and then while this is happening, they're like, I can't believe the court didn't think I was sober. I was like, really? <laughs> so it's it is at times sad, but at times hilarious. Definitely worth a watch, and. I think part of the reason that Jacob Young got kind of involved with this documentary, Holy Cow Swami, is because this takes place in West Virginia also. So we will talk about it. I think as he was working on some of the stuff with Jesco, he probably encountered some of the things that we are going to talk about today. So I think that's kind of where we where these worlds converge in a weird way. Um So let's, I know we have talked about this for way longer than I intended to, but it's so fascinating. Uh, Let's get into the actual episode because we do have a long outline to get through. So when we last left Swami Prabhupada, uh, he was attracting an audience of celebrities and rich white kids in New York, and he decided that it was time to expand the enterprise. And a lot of things happen all at once. Uh, Essentially, this is Hare Krishna first class, like X-Men first class. This is a group of young people around him that all become close, devoted adherents of his teachings all at once within weeks of each other. And Prabhupada decides to take off on a mini world tour to spread the tenets of Hare Krishna in the early 70s. And he leaves these people not only in charge of various communes, but he kind of tasks them with building up their own respective regional group uh, in a few strategic areas in the U.S. So first and foremost, they hit San Francisco and Los Angeles, obvious hippie hotspots, right? One of Prabhupada's best and brightest during this time as they're expanding wanted to create a Hare Krishna oasis outside of the normal spots that you would think of for hippies, and that was West Virginia. And this is Keith Ham. So let's talk about Keith Ham. Who is he? Where does he come from? Why does he end up in this story? So Keith was born in upstate New York in 1937. His father was a very conservative Baptist minister and his mom was a stay-at-home mom because they had tons of kids. It's the 30s and they are religious. Uh, so he was a devout Baptist as a child and as a teenager, and he actually had aspirations of becoming a preacher himself. However... He abandoned those dreams entirely after contracting polio around his 17th birthday. Now, he does recover, uh, and he doesn't have a ton of lasting effects from polio. He doesn't have, like, a pronounced limp or anything, as we often see with people who get polio around this time. Uh, But it was touch and go for a while, and he did end up kind of bedridden for a bit before recovering. Uh, After recovering, he went on to receive a bachelor's in history, from Maryville College and would graduate magnums come loudly. Um, <laughs> it's such a the, fun phrase. That's where the magnum comes in is because that's yeah, how loud the shots are. loudly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Every time I come, it sounds like a revolver going off. And that's why you need the magnum. Uh, mm-hmm. So, magna cum laude, whatever. Uh, 
he receives a fellowship to go to graduate school specifically to study American history at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And he does end up spending three years there. But this is where we got to get into some documentary shit. Now, here's the thing. He arrives for this graduate program in 1959. And we know a lot about his later life, court cases, arrest trials, etc. We don't know a lot about this period from other sources except for this documentary. And when you start to look at him in his early days in Hare Krishna, you'll hear the same thing over again from almost all the sources. And a lot of them are gathering this information from Hare Krishna or from ISKCON directly. Uh, and that is that he was one of Prabhupada's first and most devoted members. And his father was a pastor. And that's about all they will tell you. Nothing else. Unless you go digging for this fucking documentary. Now, according to the documentary, when Keith arrived for graduate school in 1959, within a matter of weeks, he met an undergraduate English major from Mobile, Alabama named Howard Morton Wheeler. The documentary alleges that Howard and Keith were lovers and would remain so for many years until it became a problem with ISKCON. We'll get to that eventually. Probably next week, actually. Now, according to the documentary, again, they met in 1959. And by 1961, they were forced to resign from the university. Now, I think because Howard was an undergrad and Keith was a graduate student, I think Keith was likely teaching and Howard may have been one of his students. It's not entirely clear. I think if I was able to actually see the documentary, it'd probably clear this up. Uh, but from what I was able to find as far as write-ups, it's unclear. But what we do know is that they both left the university in 1961 to avoid investigation into a sex scandal. Now, I think the sex scandal is that they were lovers because it's 61 and gay rights are not widespread, especially not in North Carolina at the time. So they move to a place where they think that they will be more accepted. And that is New York in the early 60s. Oh, so New York City. Yes. Um, now, upon arriving there, Keith got super into a new fad at the time. And that was LSD. Hell yeah, brother. Now, specifically, He's getting into it for religious applications. He's, he's trying to study it and how it can influence people and influence spiritual connection is what he's interested in. But he starts dealing and <laughs> <laughs> he's got a lot of it going. He's trying to get people to take it all the time. <laughs> what a great fucking one-two punch of just... <laughs> He was interested in marijuana for its medical purposes and how it could help people in the long term with, like, cancer or eating uh, problems or even insomnia. Marijuana could be the, prob the problem solver that everyone was looking for. He also sold it to high school. Like, it's the yeah, fucking great one-two punch. A hundred. Well, and, and essentially, he becomes known as, like, he gets a reputation as, air quotes, an LSD guru. Hmm. Um, now, and this is around the time of, like, Timothy Leary, like, the whole, like, LSD studies and everything. This is that time. And he is in and around a number of the college programs that Leary participates in. Mm -hmm. So at this time, Keith enrolls at Columbia and as a grad student again and gets a fellowship studying religious history. Now... Here's an odd extra rabbit hole because he goes to Columbia in this graduate program with the authors of one of our frequent sources for other episodes, um, an author named Whitney Cross, who wrote The Burned Over District, The Social and Intellectual History of Enthusiastic Religion in Western New York from 1800 to 1850. If you have listened to any of our like early American cults, that book, we use that book so much like and and we have it online like i have it for like a kindle version i have considered buying a hard copy so many times because of how much we use it um but i just thought it was really interesting that they were in the same program together 
and they have just wildly different lives afterwards, which is interesting. Yep. What's really interesting to me is this whole like uh, participating in the acid studies shit is is such a wide reaching like. Timothy Leary did his whole little I'm going to teach the world about acid thing and created mm-hmm. uh, this guy, apparently, uh, created Baba Ram Das and also, uh, oh, fuck, what's her name? Elizabeth Kubler-Ross or whatever, who's like- And we'll uh, get to Ram Das in like two seconds, but yeah. Oh, my fucking God. Anyway, mm-hmm. from this, we have the current cult leader we're talking about, uh, a guru who I would say isn't a cult leader, but is kind of a weird guy. And that's coming from a dude who likes Baba Ram Dass. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then uh, 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 Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who I think that's her name. If I'm if I'm getting it wrong, I apologies. But that's where we get the fucking uh, what is it the 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 stages of grief from? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's crazy how many influential people were at this one part, and maybe even crazier how all of it comes from just doing a bunch of acid. Doing a bunch of acid. <laughs> It's almost like it solves all the problems in the world. Is that what you got from this? Not that, hey, it might create a ton of problems. Ah, you gotta you gotta make problems to solve problems. That's what they always say. Hey, that's the motto of Taco Bell. You gotta make diarrhea to solve <laughs> diarrhea. So he's heavy into the LSD movement. Uh and he is interested in people like Baba Ram Das, who has started kind of dabbling in Eastern religions at this point. Uh, and he decides that he's not super interested in normal college life. He doesn't think that college has what he needs on his intellectual and spiritual journey. Mm. Because of LSD. You yeah, know, you yeah. know how it Look, do. I'm anti-school, but I became extraordinarily anti-school once I started getting into drugs. So I think that there's like, I don't know, they told me I was a smart kid growing up, but how much of that is me actually being a smart kid and how much of it is me being like, the school doesn't have the intellectual capacity to deal with my brain. Meanwhile, my brain's like, what if I turned a, a burrito into a quesadilla and then put that on a pizza? Okay, but like, what if I made a burrito and then I melted cheese around the outside and wrapped it in foil so that you could carry it and eat it with you while you walk around? They already do that. The Mexicans yeah. already do that. And then Taco Bell's doing it too. Not enough people, not enough people recognize the innovation of the Mexican people. Uh <laughs> titans of food innovation we will find a way to get fucking e coli and diarrhea inside of you or die trying <laughs> so at this point keith decides that he needs to do what ramdas had done and he needs to go to india mm-hmm. now again he and wheeler his uh iskon will say friend documentary will say long-term homosexual partner mm-hmm. um, travels with him because they're still together at this point. They go to India in October of 1965. Remember, they meant they met in 1959, so they've been together for like six years mm-hmm. at this point. They go to India in October of 1965 in hopes that they would find a guru to take Keith on as a student. And here's the thing. We haven't talked about this a ton since our first episode when we did Satya Sai Baba. Uh, But in the 1960s, tons of white kids were going to India to find gurus. And gurus don't just take anybody. First of all, you got to do what the guru wants you to do. Like, that's a part of it. Uh, And you usually need to have something a guru needs. So in the case of, like, Satya Sai Baba, he specifically wanted white kids with money. Like, that was a thing, you know? And... Some gurus do, some gurus don't. Some gurus want prominence. Some gurus want students who will be ultra obedient. Uh, We've covered gurus who specifically were taking attractive women because there's a sexual assault component to this. Mm -hmm. It depends on the guru, right? But what happens to Keith is that they go to tons of gurus and no one will take him. And I'm going to enter the speculation zone here for a moment. Uh, 
I think it's because he was gay. Uh, I think that's why they did not take him, because this will come up later. And a lot of these, the ashrams and things that they're visiting have a celibacy clause, if you want to think of it that way. Which Prabhupada does as well. We'll get to in just a bit. Um, they travel India for six months. They don't find anyone who will take them. So they come home to New York right as Prabhupada starts getting popular in the park in New York. Convenient. Now there's a guru right here. Now Wheeler, Howard Wheeler, actually joins first uh, with Keith joining about two weeks later. And Howard and Keith are some of the first of the new disciples um, to essentially adhere to Prabhupada full time. Keith is noted as being one of the first ones to shave his head completely mm. and wear the saffron robes. So they go like full, I was going to say full ham, and I was like, well, that's his last name. Um, <laughs> anyway, they get very, very close to Prabhupada instantly. And within the first year that they're together, um, Keith receives the new name, Kirtanananda. Now, I'm going to stick with Keith Ham. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Curtin Ananda is tough to say. Uh, now, Curtin Ananda refers to the fact that Keith really enjoyed some of the storytelling and preaching aspects of the religion. Uh, he enjoyed the Curtin, so he's Curtin Ananda. Um, so he and Howard would travel with Pradu- Prabhupada around the world within that first year as Prabhupada is spreading and expanding. And specifically, they travel to Montreal, where they start the Montreal Temple. Now, as they're creating that community and building it up, they then travel to India for kind of like a break, and then they're going to come back to to Montreal. Um, Now, as they travel to India, they then take a lifelong vow of celibacy in mind, word, and body which means that you are supposed to not even think about sex. But they are in, allegedly, a relationship. Allegedly, according to that documentary. So that presents a bit of a problem. Uh, So they return to New York, and they continue living together. Prabhupada returns to Montreal and stays there. He's working on building up that temple. Now, with Keith and Howard back in New York, they are tasked with leading the New York group, and he starts preaching regularly. However, he starts incorporating elements of Christianity into Prabhupada's belief system. Remember, he is the child of a Baptist minister, and the people in the group in New York didn't like that. They were like, we kind of joined this to get away from Christianity, but like, not a huge fan of uh, you bringing that in. And so they go to Prabhupada. And Prabhupada is furious, furious, and bans them from preaching at Iskon temples. And it would seem that at this point, Keith and Howard's experience with Iskon was over. Or was it? Because they had moved to Pennsylvania. Uh, so that they could teach at a local college when they saw an ad in a local newspaper or rather an underground New Age newspaper uh, called the San Francisco Oracle, which if you remember from like Heaven's Gate, uh, we talked about it a little bit in that episode where like people were just getting crazy pamphlets delivered to their house Mm -hmm. all the time and then you could mail away for stuff. So in 1968 a man named Richard Rose Jr. posted in the San Francisco Oracle that he wanted to create an ashram on his land in Marshall County, West Virginia. Um, This is kind of like, you know, when, uh, like the story of Woodstock and the people that hosted Woodstock or the people that host the gathering of the Juggalos every year, where they're just like, we got a bunch of land and we're committed to the cause. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's kind of who this guy is. Um, And it is 132.77 acres. So it's a lot of land. It's a big, big land. Uh, And the ad that he posted in 1968 says, 
The conception is one of a non-profit, non-interfering, non-denominational retreat or refuge where philosophers might come to work communally together or independently and where a library and other facilities might be developed. Now, at this point, Keith and Howard have an idea. So they go to visit this land and they actually stay for a few months before traveling to Montreal to apologize to Prabhupada in person and pitch him the idea of starting this commune in West Virginia. And Prabhupada forgives them instantly and is like, yeah, of course, let's take this land. So they purchased the lease on the land for, how much do you think that land is worth? Remember, 132.77 acres. Okay, what what year is it exactly at this point? 1968, and the land includes forests, lakes, fields, and wide open areas for large buildings, housing facilities, and other facilities as needed. I'm going to go ahead and say that it was $27,000. It was $4,000. Are you uh, fucking kidding me? Come on! <laughs> you, you couldn't even buy a, a car for that. Now, granted, it is low for the time too like it's it's not like at the time they're like yeah four four thousand dollars sounds normal no it is also low for the time um they also it's a 99 year lease uh and they have the option to purchase the land for ten dollars when the lease expires it expires uh in another i believe 40 or so years um and we'll cover next week what that means uh, for the future of Hare Krishna because this becomes the largest Krishna compound. Uh, so I'll tell you what it means, Paige. It what? means that I have 40 years to become the leader of Hare Krishna so that I can buy the land for $10, kick everyone out, and then build one kick-ass apartment complex. And I don't know why I call it an apartment complex. I'm at a house. That's how poor my brain is, is that I can't even say the word, I will own a house. Now, spoiler, uh, there might be some uh, stipulations to that $10. Ooh, okay. Um, because the, the the people who, Richard uh, Rose Jr. and his wife Phyllis, uh, they wanted a religious commune there. And so... Prabhupada travels to visit the land along with Howard and Keith, and they agree to establish an ashram there on five key principles. One, cow protection and local agriculture, um, because they are vegetarians, they're strict vegetarians, and they believe in the rights of certain animals, specifically cows. Uh, number two, simple living. Three, holy pilgrimage. They want it to be a place where people can travel to do spiritual work on themselves. Uh, spiritual education, they want to hold classes and workshops there. And number five, above all, loving Krishnas. So loving Krishna, singular. Uh, so throughout the 1970s, as they are now kind of cultivating and working on this new commune, Keith installs himself the leader of the new commune, which mm -hmm. they name New Vrindaban, and he starts making changes. Now, technically, Keith still answers to Prabhupada because it is a... a in ISKCON commune, uh, but Prabhupada is also in his 80s at this point and constantly traveling. He isn't hands-on. He physically can't be. Uh, and Keith starts renovating the land and investing in projects that he thinks will bring more followers. Now, let's talk about what Prabhupada is doing at this time, though, because we talked about him in the last episode, how he seemed like kind of this idealistic guy that had a vision, and then it just grows more than he expected, and he was old to begin with. Um, but you might be wondering what he's doing while Keith is doing all this stuff. So here's the thing about Prabhupada. Um, again, he's he's an 80-plus-year-old man, and I don't know if you've ever talked to 80-year-old uh, people. Mm -hmm. They don't have the best opinions on things most of the time. Yeah. Um, so Prabhupada starts talking about some weird shit, and it turns some people off. Um, now, here's the thing. It was already a hard sell to join the Hare Krishnas. We covered it a little bit last time where uh, people would shave their heads, don the robes. Uh, they would go full vegetarian, abstinent except for within marriage, and only for procreation. No drugs, no alcohol, nothing. On top of that, they began requiring 
uh, that if you were a true full-time adherent, you would recite the mantras up to 16 times a day, which would take about two hours. And it was done in a, a chant where you would join chants for about two hours at a time. A lot of people saw this as brainwashing. I would say this is pretty standard extreme meditation, but as we know, those things can be mind-altering. It can produce altered states. So people are not super happy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people start kind of digging into, like, who is this guy? Now, granted, he's one of, like, multiple people doing the same thing at the same time. But what this means is that as people are maybe not happy about it and looking for ways to kind of poke holes in his deal, we have a lot of real unfortunate quotes from towards the end of his life. Oh, um, fun. Yeah, let's get into it. So uh, in the early 70s, uh, he was very, very public about uh, rejecting the moon landing uh, because we did not find any living beings on the moon. Uh-huh. He basically was like, the moon landing can't be real because how could we not find aliens? <laughs> this is the tamest of his crazy beliefs. Um but yeah, so he he was like, it was definitely Stanley Kubrick. Uh, but yeah, he did not believe in the moon landing. Well, that just makes sense. Yeah, right? Uh, but uh, then we're now we're going to get into some weirder stuff. So he starts making real negative remarks about women. Uh, now, here's the thing. Hare Krishna does have a, a track record of their philosophy and practice being equally available to men and women. Uh, which people enjoy. That's not always the case. Uh, but then Prabhupada would say things like, quote, women in general should not be trusted. Oh. <laughs> or or direct, direct quote, uh, women are generally not very intelligent, end quote. Um, a number of <laughs> statements. Uh, now, again, this is an 80-year-old man in the 70s, which means that, like, he lived at a time where it's like, rights, why would they need to vote? Like, this is like, he's an old man. Like, and and here's the, again, those are terrible beliefs. They're not great. They're not beliefs that I want to hear from somebody leading a religious organization that I'm a part of. But I'm also like, yeah, he's just like an 80-year-old guy, and you guys just joined the chance without asking any questions. Like, duh. Yeah, I don't know what it is about, like, <laughs> old people have the dumbest opinions all the yes. time. Yes, yes. <laughs> we got to stop voting them into office and shit. Yeah, that's the thing. Is it's just like, yeah, this is just what old people, and not all, granted, not all of them, because I, I um, talking with old people is difficult i'll say for one of two reasons either a they're like this where they're just awful awful people because they grew up in an awful awful time and now like society is like hey that's not okay anymore and they're like everything's different now and that just sucks to be around and they're in office anyway um so there's that or you have like my great grandfather who lived to be uh a hundred years old and who lived the world's coolest life despite spending the last, like, okay, here's the thing. My great-grandfather spent, like, the last 30 years of his life living in fucking Nogales, Arizona, the most boring part of the most boring state, and his life is still the most exciting life I've ever heard of. But because he's so old, you know, your brain can only hold so much information in it. So it's all just like the really important stuff and then the really awful stuff. And talking with him sucked because he'd be like, yeah, you know, I remember uh, coming to Arizona with my wife and and we found this place and it's just so beautiful. It had a community of artists and my wife, she loved to paint and and, and she fell right at home, you know, here and, and, and then I found the golf and, and, and it was so fun and it felt like for the first time we had both come together in a place 
where we could both be happy, which was important to us because uh, previously I remember killing all those men in Korea and it just felt like, you know, you can't just kill 50 Koreans and have a happy life. And you're like, I'm sorry, what did you, <laughs> what, you what was that? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Go back, go back, go back, go back. Yeah, he'll just like, he'll tell you about the best sandwich he ever had and then go, oh, that reminds me of the time I saw a guy in South America fall down a pipe and burst his head open. And you're like, dude. Yikes. What's going on in your the only things left in your brain are the are the bad and the very good. Anyway, this is a tangent that doesn't matter. All I'm saying is talking to old people is rough. Yeah, uh as particularly this old person uh because if you'll recall from the first episode, uh he was in college uh in the uh turn of the century when India was seeking independence, um which means he lived through both world wars. Uh, how do you think he feels about World War II? Oh, no. Um, I'm, what, this is such a loaded question. How do I think, I, does, I hope he was against it happening, and I hope he was on the right side of the conflict. No? You're shaking your head no at me with a knowing smile that this guy supported Nazis? Yeah, he thought it was the the Jewish people's fault that the Holocaust happened. Uh, now, he he publicly talked about how he believed that uh, the Jewish people were raising money and wanted to overthrow Hitler in Germany, and that's why he had to kill them. And I'm like, what? No. Oh, no. No. Uh, which is bad enough. That's a bad thing. That's a horrible thing to say. But what's worse is when he said this about African-American people. Oh, no. Quote, the blacks were slaves. They were under control. And since you've given them equal rights, they are disturbing, most disturbing, always creating a fearful situation, uncultured and drunkards. What training have they got? They have got equal rights. It is best to keep them under control as slaves, but give them sufficient food, sufficient cloth, not more than that. Then they will be satisfied. End quote. What the fuck? Yes. Uh, you'll notice not many black Hare Krishnas. How Pretty much none. Say, I love the idea of being like, this entire race of people is a bunch of drunkards and, and villains who do nothing but, but make the world a worse place. And then smash cut to, if you want to get to heaven, with some guy just tap dancing <laughs> tap on a dancing. fucking bridge, throwing beer bottles at a Taco Bell because they ain't got fajitas and fiestas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got fajitas, fiestas. You got to tell me when you watch it because we got to watch it. Uh, but yeah, so uh, yeah, so a lot of people are suddenly like, what the fuck did we get into? <laughs> like, what is this? Um, and more importantly, those people's parents were like, what the fuck did my kid get into? Which is why when we come when we come back next week, we're we're still finishing out this episode, but next week, we will see the return of a cult podcast favorite, Black Lightning. Oh, hell yeah, baby. <laughs> but before that, before that, to finish out this week, uh, in 1972, as this is all happening, as, as Prabhupada is saying these things that are maddening, uh, Keith Ham is kind of trying to make his own name. So he begins building what he calls the Palace of Gold. And he called it a home for Prabhupada. Now, this is weird for a number of reasons. Number one, uh, and they hire famous sculptors and architects. They build it out of gold, like actual gold. It's a golden shrine for a dude who is basically like, yeah, material things are bullshit. And also Hitler was right. Black people should still be slaves. <laughs> like that mm. guy. End quote. Um, you got to be real quote. important that you're quoting here. Paige. Quote, end quote. Yeah. It seems like a weird thing to do. And a lot of people questioned it. <laughs> they were like, you're building what? I thought we were like not doing material things, dude. Um, but he does it anyway. Now, the building of that temple takes seven years. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you feel about people having rights despite their skin color and, uh, you know, cultural uh, heritage. Um, he dies. <laughs> Prabhupada dies five years into the building of this. He never gets to see it finished. Um, 
Now, here's the thing. Wait, when, hold on, hold on. They kept building it after he died? <laughs> yeah, they did. No! Yeah, they did. He's the, only, years. he's the only guy that wanted it. Just stop building it. What are you fucking no, doing? No, 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 no. Prabhupada died. Keith is still alive. Oh, Prabhupada's okay. dead. Uh, but Keith still builds it and dedicates it to Prabhupada post- posthumously. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing about Prabhupada's death. Because if you read about it online, some people will be like, he disappeared. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, he died. <laughs> like, dude was like 85. <laughs> like, he died. Um, or I'm sorry, 81. Uh, but he died on November 14th, 1977, at the age of 81 in Vrindavan, India. And his body was actually buried there. Uh, so some of the... Hari Krishna, the, the, the ISKCON adherents that were not in India are like, show us the body. <laughs> like, we don't believe it. And so sometimes when you read about it, they'll be like, he disappeared. And you're just like, into the ground this where is, bodies go. This, well, is like, the what? Same, this is the same fucking logic that they use to tell people Tupac's still alive. <laughs> oh, They're yeah. Like, oh, well, if he's really dead, how come we didn't see the body before it was, you know, thrown into an autopsy and then cremated? It's like, yeah, really because he was wicked fucking dead. Yeah, super dead. Uh, now, at the time of Prabhupada's death, there was not one clear successor because remember, he had started compounds all over the world and had started them with different adherents and then left them in charge of their own compounds. So they appoint 12 different successors to manage each of the respective ashrams or communes all over the world and elevate them all to guru in the process. Now, in a way, that is a much more strategic and reasonable way to handle what happens when a cult leader dies. Um, But we will find out that it doesn't really work out. Um, Not all 12 fail, but most of them do. And even the ones that fail don't all fail as catastrophically as Keith will next week when we talk about it. Um, But because they elevate them to gurus, a lot of them are just human and not perfect. And so you'll find like notations for some of them where it's just like, well, they weren't celibate. Well, that could mean anything. That could mean like somebody walked in on them watching porn or that there was like a huge abuse scandal. It covers everything in between. But what I didn't find for any of them was that nobody got thrown out for breaking vegetarian tradition because that's the one I would have wanted where they were like, well, we walked in and he had a whole plate of hot wings. <laughs> <laughs> like, how, like, how'd you lose your cult? Big Mac. Like, what, what is, like, that would have been the best for me. I would have been like, that's wild. Um, you can get kicked out for taking sausage as long as it's not between two buns, apparently. Yeah, it's, you could kick out, get kicked out for putting sausage between a hot dog bun or your own buns. It does not matter. Yeah. Both are, are illegal, basically. Um. But at this point, after Prabhupada's death, Keith assumes complete control of New Vrindaban, uh, which is now one of the largest communes in the world. And he begins shaping it to his own belief system. And that's where we'll pick up next week. Jesus. Well, he's not super involved, but, no. you know, they do mention him. <laughs> this is such a, a wild time. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, thank you for another great episode, Paige. This was so much fun. Uh, and also, thank you for introducing me to the Outlaw Dancer. Uh, the Outlaw Dancer, the Dancing Outlaw. Please <laughs> tell me when you watch that documentary. I absolutely will. Uh, and, uh, hey, we want to say thank you to you. Yeah, that's right, you, listening to this, for uh, for joining us on this wild adventure. If you uh, want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast. Hey, it's me. It's Armando Torres, if you were unfamiliar. Uh, I'm the guy that you've been listening to for the last hour. And uh, I want to say if you want to follow me on social media, you can. It's very, very easy. I've made it so available. Uh, It's at Mondo Does Stuff. That's M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff. All one word. On uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Twitch, even 
you can find me on all the places that Mondo does stuff. Uh, it's going to be a few weeks of hell for me. I think that I have one show coming up in Austin, Texas next Sunday. Um, I'm also going to be in, I think, Rockport, Texas is where Ooh. I'm going. Uh, uh, and I, I might be doing a show while I'm there. Uh, everything's unclear. But if you want to uh, hear more of me doing stupid, goofy bits with my very, very good friends, you can watch the RT podcast, the Rooster Teeth podcast. Um, that's available on roosterteeth.com uh, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Although I suggest watching the video version only because they let me direct a, a sketch every single week. <laughs> and so far they have uh, just been so much fun. So go ahead and check that out. It's a lot of fun. The Rooster Teeth podcast, RT podcast, RTP, you know, you can find it so many different ways. And then we're also uploading clips of it onto YouTube. So I love you. Thank you. Good night. Good luck. Goodbye. Forever. Forever. Uh, hey, it's your girl Paige. I'm here every week. You can listen to me on Horror Virgin or Romancing the Pod. Uh, or you can catch me on Roast Battle a lot. Uh, I post days for that on Instagram. Uh, if you want to see me battle one of the best Roast Battlers to ever do it, you could see me battle Keith Carey July 20th. I'll also be at RTX July 5th through the 10th. Uh, and then I potentially have more dates for another thing coming up that I can't announce, but watch Instagram and I will put it there. Um, you could follow me on Instagram at Rampage Wesley. That sounded weird. At, <laughs> at Rampage Wesley on Instagram and TikTok or at Page Wesley on Twitter. I love you so much. Bye. And uh, you can follow the show on Instagram at Colt Podcast. I don't know why I said it like there was more to it. It's just at Colt Podcast. <laughs> or at Colt Podcast Show on Twitter. You can send us an email to ColtPodcastShow at gmail.com. And I'm not fucking kidding. If you have a copy of this documentary, please send it to 3756 West Avenue 40, Sweet K, number 237. Like, like the, Shining. the Shining, Los Angeles, California, 90065. Hey, this is a callback to the to the intro when we were going through about the candies. Do you think if I took two Kit Kats and made a crucifix, it would taste better? It would taste holier. Mmm, love that. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's going to do it from us, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Yeah, and I'm going to say for this one, uh, don't order Fiestas from Taco Bell. Mm. And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye.